0: Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We are about to close up our teaching that started, I guess, back in about September, October, somewhere in that realm. We did the first three chapters leading up to November, and then we took a pause, started it again, and Sid came along, and he and I have joyously been sharing these last three chapters. Glad to do that with you, Sid. Getting to know him has been a blessing and a privilege to work together on these chapters. Before I get into it this morning, though, I want to, um, when I candidated in this church in 1993, that seems like a few years ago. Some of you are not born then, right? That was a while ago, 1993 in the fall. I did my sermons as a candidate, several of them out of Ephesians two and three. And I wanna go back this morning and just read the five verses out of chapter two to remind us of how, and I know Sid agrees with this, though I haven't talked to him, I think I know him well enough to know, he is right with me when, when either one of us would talk about men who handle the word of God or privileged to do that, call to do that. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians two, one to five. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Dave Graff picked some good songs to go with this particular verse section, didn't he? Now the next verse. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Let's pray and just reflect upon these as we open up the word today. Men of God are called of God to preach the word, but it is not their wisdom. It is not their ability. They proclaim the word of God, trusting the spirit of God to do the work. And we're going to ask him to do that again today. Father, I thank you for this time of finishing up Ephesians with Sid. And I ask that you would bless him as he will conclude next week in the latter verses of chapter six. Be with me this morning, help us to both remember that it is not our eloquence, our ability. If anything comes of this message this morning or next week or hereafter, it will be because of you. And we thank you for that. We trust you this morning. Work in our hearts, work through your word as we talk about these additional areas of submission and authority. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in 6, 1 to 9 of Ephesians this morning. Just one more message to go. And I want to go ahead and just read these verses to you. There are two parts. I will open it this way. Paul, back in chapter 5, dealt with the first of three areas of submission and authority. Back in chapter five, beginning with verse 22, he dealt with, he dealt with submission and marriage, in the marriage unit, but also the authority. And he spoke to the one in authority, the husband. When we open this today and we read this, we're gonna see him deal with two other areas. One is the family extended, mom and dad and the children. And the other is the workplace, slaves or free men, and those who have authority over them. There are a couple other areas in Scripture that we could look at as well with submission and authority. In the church, with elders, elder-led churches, God has given elders authority, spiritual authority in the church, and the church is told to listen to them and honor them and obey what they say when they're handling the word of God. And also he has said, we are to submit to the governing authorities and those in our government. Paul doesn't mention those here, but today we're gonna end up with the three that he does mention, two of those three, the home and also the workplace. So that's where we're heading. Now, I want you to know something. Again, he deals with both sides of this, those in submission and those who have the authority over them. We're going to see that again today. But what you need to know when you look at these, as we looked at in the the marriage relationship, you need to know that oftentimes it's the one in authority has more to to respond to God for, to be accountable to God for, than the one that's under authority. Did you understand that? It's the one in authority that has as much or far more to be responsible to God for. Even, even the Marine Corps recognizes such a truth. How many of you are, have been Marines here? Anybody? I had a brother-in-law that was in the Marines, and I know some Marines. I think one raised their hand back here. If I looked at our services, Coast Guard, Air Force, Army, Army, Navy. And then I thought of the Marines. I would think they're the toughest bunch of guys there are out there. But one day when I was doing guard chaplaincy in New York at a base there with a guard unit, there was also, in addition to our C-5 unit, there was a C-130 Marine unit on that same base. And I remember reading one particular weekend when I was doing duty, an article that the commander of that unit wrote to his men. In the unit. And I was amazed at the responsibility that he accepted and held himself accountable for caring for that unit. And so I went online eventually and got hold of a Marine guide for officers and NCOs who were going to lead. Listen, Listen to what it said about their leadership, their authority in the Marines, no less. Marines should... Develop a genuine interest in people, especially their Marines. Did you get that? They are to put their Marines' welfare above their own. This is Marine officers and NCOs. This is their training manual. Marines are to set the standards for their Marines by personal example. In other words, live out what you ask of them. Share the same hardships of your, with your Marines that they have. You share with them. If you've ever seen this movie, A Few Good Men, anybody seen that? Tom Cruise? Wasn't it Tom Cruise in that? The Colonel, Marine colonel in that was not living up to this kind of stuff, was he? If you've seen that movie. Here's another one. Show your Marines that you will do what you ask of them, that you're open to do the very same thing. Share the same dangers that they face with your Marines. Show your Marines that your life is open to to critique. And finally, give your Marines clear orders and make sure that they understand what you are saying to them. Make sure they get it. Again, this movie, A Few Good Men, if you could have seen it, This marine colonel was absolutely the opposite of this. He felt like he was the absolute authority over everything. And he got himself in big trouble at the end of the movie. So now we're going to get to what we want to see in terms of those under submission and those in authority in both the home, the family, and in the workplace. So we'll start with the home, and we'll look first of all at the children and their responsibility to obey their parents, and then we'll look at what God says to the parents as to their responsibilities for their children. Now, here's another interesting thing that I found some years ago. How many of you have seen the sermon by Peter the Hermit written in 1274 AD. Not too many of you have seen seen this one. Here's what he said speaking of children in his day in 1274. The world is passing through troublous times. The young people of today, 1274, think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint, and they talk as if they knew everything and what passes on, for wisdom with us is foolishness to them. And the girls, he says, the girls of that day are impatient, or rather, excuse me, are forward, immodest, unladylike, in speech and behavior and dress. You think things are bad today? 1274 didn't sound too good either, did it? Peter the hermit says, we've got problems, but you know something? We're going to find out as we get into this. Children and parents and children are in submission to be in submission and submit to their parents. We're going to find out that a lot of the problems with children in 1274 and in our day Or as Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, in the latter times, people are going to be disobedient to parents, unloving, untruthful. It's going to get worse. It seems like it gets worse all through history, but it's not just the children. Many times, and in our day I think especially, it's the parents not fulfilling their responsibility with the children. But first, let's talk about what are the children to do? Two things, to obey and honor. Now let's read the passage and get this in our minds. Children, obey your parents as, rather, in the Lord. For this is right. In other words, it's righteous. Honor your father and mother, children, which is the first command with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Did you hear that? Children, you have a responsibility to submit to the parents that God has placed over you. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I don't think he's writing just to fathers there because he's already been saying, and it's said elsewhere in Scripture, that mom and dad together, parents, are over those children. Verse 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So we're going to look at the children first. Children obey your parents, and then honor in them. What should this obedience look like? The first thing he says is, in the Lord. Now, if you're a child here today, you might want to say, well, you know, that's only if my parents are Christians. That's not what he means, children. You are to submit to your parents in the Lord, and this means you're to do it because he's asking you to do it. You are to do it because he's the one that will give you the power. You do it by his strength, in accordance with his will, and you do it to please him. I grew up in a home that when I became about 13, my mother became a Christian, and my father remained a non-Christian for many years thereafter, and maybe, I don't know, whether he really ever came to know the Lord. So I grew up as a teenager in a divided home. My responsibility, though, was to listen to my parents, to obey them. And then also in Colossians 3.20, in the similar parallel section, Paul says this obedience includes all things that they talk to you about. They want to tell you how to brush your teeth. They want to tell you how to make your bed, how to mow the lawn, You listen to your mom and dad. The only time, children, you don't have to listen to mom and dad is if they are asking or commanding you to do something that is ungodly, unbiblical. Then they can say, no, I can't do that because I'm a servant of the Lord. But you must obey in his strength, according to his will, according to his word. Why is this kind of obedience so important? Because it is the right thing to do. It is from God, and He gives us what is right to do the righteous thing. That's why we are to obey our parents, and we are to listen to them. And it also says, because this is well-pleasing. Children obey and please Him. When When they obey parents, they are being blessed by God. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 and 9 talks about the blessing that comes to us when we listen to our mom, when we listen to our dad, when we obey. So children, you are to listen, you are to follow their instructions. You may not always agree, but you are to do that. One time when I was um, with one of my sons, I will not mention his name in case he ever hears the sermon, um, when he was a teenager, one of my three boys, no daughters, but three sons, I will say this, it wasn't Dan, because you know Dan, and he's that he's rooted, and so don't pin this on him, but we were driving, and I just said, so son, how do you like being the son of a pastor? And there was some Silence. And then my son said, well, now that you ask, Dad, I, I don't think I like it very much, especially with you as my dad. <laughs> and I said, well, what, what, what's the problem here with us? He said, well, it's because you're a pastor. I think what you're doing is you're finding out what all the people in the church, the rules that they have for their children, and then you add them all into yours so you can get along. Now, what would you say if, if your child said that? I just think you're doing all of your rules are coming from everybody in the church because you want to please them. You want to make sure your children are pleasing to them. And finally, I, after I caught my breath, I said, Son, that is not what you and your mom and I have come up with. Your mom and I get with the word of God. We look at what the Lord wants for us. And what we have for you, no matter what you think, comes from him through us to you. We don't go around asking others. I don't know whether he believed that at the time, but he did listen. And I think after a while, he finally accepted that we're not doing that. Well, notice again. Children are to honor their parents. This is a word that talks about holding them in high esteem. I honor them because of the place that God has given to them over my life. You know, if children really thought about it, especially if they had godly parents, they would see that was one of the greatest gifts they could ever have gotten that godly parents would be their guide and would live out the truth before them and would cause them to walk on a straight path and give them the principles by which they are to live. So it has to do with esteem. It has to do with this position. Why is this position of honor so important? So that it may go well with them in this life, that they might live a good life, that they might live a meaningful life, so that it, they might live a long life. It's the first promise that God has given in his commands. Listen, children, whether you live a long time, whether you live a good long time, and you live a good life, has much to do with how you esteem and hold up your mom and dad. And children must also be aware, too, that as they think through these things, that if they don't obey, their mom and dad, and we'll find this out, have been told to discipline them. To discipline their children. There should be consequences for disobedience to parents, in other words. Proverbs 17, 25, a foolish son will bring grief and bitterness to his parents. Proverbs 20:20, 20, 20, the lamp of one cursing his parents will go out in darkness. And finally, Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, summing it up, rebellious sons were to be stoned for rebelling against mom and dad in the Old Testament. Oh, and one more thing, unless... Some of you who are married or older think that you're off the hook from this response to parents honoring them, listening to them. We are even told by Paul in 1 Timothy 5, 3, 4 to 8 that in the case particularly of a widow, this mother that has no husband anymore, that her children are to come to her aid and honor her and rescue her and help her with her needs. Very clear there. So the interesting thing is, in the home and in the workplace, in the family and workplace, you can be sometimes both one under submission and one who's in authority. In many of these cases, that can happen. Now next, next he takes on the parents in this first category, the home, and he gives the parents two responsibilities, one positive and one negative. Parents must bring them up in the discipline and the instruction or admonition of the Lord. They're to do this. They're to do it faithfully. And then he says, don't abuse them. Fathers particularly, don't take on that role in which you begin to provoke your children to anger. I'm going to turn back to Deuteronomy, and if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading with verse 4. Listen to what Moses writes there. And Paul picks up on when he talks about raising your children in the nurture and the admonition or instruction of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall go on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, And you shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontals of your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." You see what's involved here? Formal training, informal training. Spending time with your kids, teaching them what God would say in his word that's important for their life. Modeling it in front of them, living it in front of them, treating them with love and grace as you do this. Parents, you have the responsibility to raise them up. This we would refer to as preventive discipline instructing, teaching them, talking to them about consequences for misbehavior, for not applying the truth so that they can learn that even with my heavenly Father, He will discipline me when I disobey. Parents, this takes time. And I think one of the things that goes on today is many parents would, not, would rather not be bothered with spending the time that God wants them to Raising their children for him. Teaching them by example, by word, with the word of God. When they walk by the wayside, when they're sitting in the house, when they're riding in the car. Teach them by example. Teach them how it is that God wants them to live. This is preventive discipline to keep you from getting to the place where you have to use corrective discipline. And that can come into place, and there are many parents avoiding that today because they want to be friends. They don't want to be a parent. They want to be a friend. Each child must be treated as an individual. Also, Proverbs 22:6, 6, raise up a child according to his way, according to him. Get to know him. Get to know your child, your son or daughter. Know their personality. Know what makes them tick and relate to them the way that you find them. Make certain they understand what they tell you. Be honest with them about your own shortcomings. Deal with them gently and out of a heart of love. Listen to them, spend time with them, and value them. And recognize that when your life is over, one of the most important things that you will ever have been called on to do by God is to raise your children. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible makes this plain, very plain, that this is a responsibility to parents. Listen to Proverbs, and by the way, makes it also plain that parents must, when their children disobey, not just look the other way, but to bring consequences. Bring discipline. Listen to Proverbs 13 24. When you spare the rod, you hate your son. He who loves him will discipline him gently. Proverbs 19 18. Discipline your son while there is hope, and don't be a cause of his death. Proverbs 19, 15 to 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort and delight your soul. How many of you have ever heard of Grady Wilson? Ever heard of Grady Wilson? I think he was affiliated some way with Billy Graham some years ago. But one time Grady Wilson was with some friends and they were asking him, they said, Grady, did your parents ever spank you when you were growing up? Did they ever discipline you that way? Did they they do some hard things on you? He said, My mother in our kitchen had a, it was either kind of like part of a whip or a board that she used. And below that was, he said, the words, I need thee every hour. (laughs) I need thee every hour. Yes, he was disciplined. He got it. I got it from my parents. I was either restricted or I was punished. And I learned that there are consequences when you disobey. But in all of this, parents are told, don't provoke your children to wrath or anger. Now, how do you do that as a parent? How do you provoke them to anger? One of the ways would be, your discipline is too severe. It even goes beyond what God says. Or it could be, Like in my family, where I have one Christian parent and one not in my teenage years, I begin to learn that they had different views about how to run our lives. So if one of them told me no, guess where I went as a teenager? To the other one who would say, yes, I played them against each other. That can provoke your children to wrath. You see, mom and dad have got to be careful. They have got to recognize that what they do, how they discipline, can provoke their children to anger, and they can be totally wrong and set their children on a wrong path. So that comes along to complement your discipline. Now, the final thing is we're going to move to the workplace. Final thing, we're going to go to the workplace. Godly living within the workplace, both for those who are the leaders and those who are the workers. It's interesting that Paul uses the word slave here. One of the reasons he did is in his day in the Roman Empire and in the Greek Empire before that, the primary worker in society was a slave. I don't know if you realize that, but that was Paul's day too. So he addresses as slaves, but he also says whether a slave or free, whether you're a free man or a slave, you're still responsible to hear these things. Here's your responsibility to those that are over you, and here is their responsibility to you. So first Paul addresses the workers. To begin with, Notice that he has addressed slaves. Some might even stop here and say, you know, God was, has never been pleased with slavery. He's, he's not for that. Why didn't just Paul speak out against that? Well, there were times when Paul did, didn't he? He told one man to free his slave in the letter to Philemon. Another time, he says, if you're a slave and you have any opportunity to be free, be sure and take it. And then in these verses as well that we have just read, he reminds both slave and master, worker and the one who leads him. They are equals before God. They would also be judged by the same system of judgment, both of them, by that same God both equal before God and both judged by his system. And they're also, if they're believers, both master and slave, they are are not only equal, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul was, was not trying to promote anything about, okay, slavery is okay. God's pleased with that. Not in any way, shape, or form. All that Paul had to say, by the way, in his day was revolutionary in regards to someone who was a slave. Now, first thing is to the workers. Be obedient to those who are your masters. Two two questions are here. What should this obedience look like? And why is this obedience important? So if you're in the workplace today, this is for you. If you have a boss is for you. Here's what he has to say. What should it look like? It must be done in fear and trembling. Wow! You know where else you find that little phrase, fear and trembling? Talking to us about Christ. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Now he says to you who are a worker, you need to do your work in fear and trembling with respect for those that are over you, with those that tell you what to do. Don't just turn them off when they leave the room. Don't just do your own thing. Listen to them in fear and trembling because you're gonna ultimately respond to God for how you deal with those who have authority over you in the workplace. Now again, there are exceptions. If that boss tells you to do something, that violates your conscience or that goes against the Word of God. You can't do it. It must be done also with sincerity of heart as unto Christ, not by eye service or, or the way of eye service. You don't just do it when your boss is looking. Even when he's gone, you do what he tells you to do. You do faithful work whether you're alone or whether you're with him, because you do it ultimately to set a godly example, to be pleasing to God. It must be done with sincerity of heart as unto Christ. It must be done with goodwill, rendering service as to the Lord, the way you do your work. So you're to be obedient, and you do it to please God and to be faithful unto Him. Why is this obedience important? He says, it must set its hope on the knowledge that whatever good thing comes out of your work relationship and your serving of the boss that's over you, that God is the one who will reward you. Your reward will come from God. He's watching how you live with that boss. He wants to see whether you're faithful or you just do your own thing when he's not around. He wants to know, are you doing this as unto me because I'm the one who will reward you? Then he turns his attention to masters and he says two things towards them as well. Two questions. What should their authority look like and why is it important? Number one, it includes no threats. You don't threaten those people under you who work for you. You don't come along and tell them, I'm gonna take your life, or I'm gonna fire you, or I'm gonna do something even worse. No threats are, are given to those who come under you. And you are to have the same kind of attitude you expect them to have to you. You're to be respectful to them. You're to be like the marine leaders that we read about who tell them, I'm willing to do whatever you do, that's whatever's hard for you. I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to pay the price that I'm asking you to pay. The one who's in authority in the work situation, not only is not to threaten, but to live so as their workers are expected to live for them. As to God, serving him, with a proper reverence and sincerity of heart, which is again, what is expected of the worker. Why is this important? Because they know that their master is also in heaven, also in heaven, and they also, there is no partiality with him. Masters, slaves, bosses, workers, are all going to be judged accordingly and in light of what God has given them as their responsibility to do. I want to say again, it's not just the one under submission that bears responsibility. Yes, they do. But the one who's in authority, the mom and dad, the husband, the boss at work, the person in government, the marine officer who's the leader in a platoon, they all are going to bear responsibility and must respond to God for how they did what he asked them to do. In every area, to government, to elders in the church, every area where there is submission and authority. Now, do you remember Hebrews 12? Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord has told his people, I will discipline you just as a father must discipline his children. And then the writer goes on to say that the Lord is also imparting if you don't discipline your children as an earthly father you don't love them. God disciplines us because he loves us. And here we have all of this before us in terms of earthly structures. We're under to be under submission in so many different areas. We have a role to play. We have a a life to live. We have a God to obey as we engage these structures. And the ones in authority must engage him too. They must be godly. They must not threaten. They must care. They must lead by example. So my question this morning as we close is this. How are you doing in any role that you have where you are to submit to government, to work, to elders, to a husband, to parents? How are you doing? God holds you accountable, and one day you will have to give an account to Him for how you did. And right now, how you're doing in these arenas that he's these structures he's established, you are going to have to give an account because he will discipline you, even if the earthly structure does not. My other question is if you're in authority, are you a husband? Are you a parent? Are you an elder? Are you a government official? if you're an authority, you're going to give an account as well. Not only one day out there, but in this life too. God has set these structures up. God is the one who's commanded how we live in them. And he expects obedience and honor and faithfulness and love as unto him every one of these, as unto him. If you're under authority or if you have the authority, it's that simple. How are you doing? Is God pleased with you? Is there one of these areas that you need to work on? Do you need to be a better parent? Do you need to be a better child? Do you need to be a better employee or boss all of these have been established by our God and they are all important Amen? Amen Let's pray Father we thank you for your word and I pray that you would write it upon our hearts make it real make our lives real in every area. May we demonstrate that we are your children and we want to be faithful with fear and trembling in how we carry out these rules. Thank you for establishing them. Thank you for allowing us to know the qualifications when we can disobey and be obedient to you. And thank you for the power in our lives by the Spirit of God that we can live in a righteous, right way. We want to do that, Father. And we ask if we're failing that you would touch our hearts today, right here, right now. Speak to us. May we repent if that's the case. And may we, by the Spirit, begin to please you.